Hi, fantasy readers. This is Corinne Norton, your fellow book binger, and you are listening to the Finding Fantasy Reads podcast, where you can test out a new fantasy story every single week to find your next favorite author. Today's story is a bit grittier with your classic sword and sorcery fantasy. It follows a young elf dedicated to becoming a warrior and shows how ambition can carry a steep price. It's written by Jeffrey L. Kohanek, who writes about unlikely heroes overcoming impossible odds to save worlds. And speaking of unlikely heroes, when you sign up for his newsletters, you can expect to see his adorable pups, Frodo and Lionel. I think they're French bulldogs, maybe pugs. I don't know dog breeds, but that doesn't stop me from appreciating pictures of adorable dogs dressed up for holidays. I'm sure one of you will be quick to educate me after you see them. Today's narrator is Peter Franson, host of Christian Geek Central. Stick around to the end or check out today's show notes to see where you can find more from both the author and the narrator, as well as how to enter our brand new giveaway for the month of July. For now, please enjoy Soul Blade by Jeffrey L. Kohanek. Ambition A dull glow emitted from striations in the granite walls, painting the cavern in amber light and causing the uneven floor to cast dark shadows on each edge and recess. Natural pedestals and shelves of stone were scattered across the chamber. Upon one such shelf, three drow fought. Rapid clacks from wood striking wood echoed off the domed rock ceiling. Grunts and footsteps filled the gaps between blows. Per tradition, four drow occupied the arena, the last watching from a gallery shelf above. The warriors constantly moved about, leaping upon outcroppings, ducking into low spots, and bounding off walls, simultaneously attacking or defending strikes from an opponent. Two leapt upon a flat shelf and clashed yet again. Tranadol's Naginata whirled, its hardened shaft blocking strike after strike as Gandor forced him backward, and Lorien came at him from behind. Escaping their trap, Tranadol leapt away. He took two rapid steps along the wall, his horizontal body narrowly missed by Gandor's Naginata sweeping beneath him. Tranadol pushed off to flip over the attacker, but his toe snagged on a rock jutting from the wall, causing him to land off-balance. Unable to quickly move away, Tranadol fell to one hand, coiling to leap again. Before he could, Gandor's blade struck his leg. Pain flared as he stumbled and fell, his weapon spinning from his grip. A female voice echoed in the cavern, Match! Soft footsteps descended the gallery stairs while Tranadol remained on his hands and knees, breath coming in gasps, leg throbbing. He glanced in the opposite direction, where Gandor stared in concern and Lorien smirked. Yes, the blow to Tranadol's leg had stung and would bruise, but the sparring sheath over Gandor's blade had prevented any serious damage. The worst wound was to his pride. He had failed. Again. Jwinhara addressed the victor. Once again, well fought, applicant Gandor. Your movements are precise and efficient, little energy wasted. I will send my recommendation to Latalus Commander Arce Asha for you to join her squad. Prepare your things, for I believe she visits the deep within days, she gestured with a flick of her hand. You are dismissed. Acolyte Lorien will remain while I speak with applicant Tranadal. 
Gandor bowed. As you wish, Weapon Master. He met Tranadal's gaze, nodded, and turned to leave the sparring arena. As his footsteps faded, the cave fell eerily silent. You failed again, Tranadal, said Juinhara. I fear you may never be ready to join the Legion. Lips pressed together, Tranadal stared at the Weapon Master. I know I can do it. Give me a little more time, and I will prove myself ready. Your ninety-ninth name day comes soon. Frowning, Tranadal replied, Yes, in three days. Juinhara nodded. And you have yet to pass a true trial by arms. I will continue training, even if it takes another decade. The Weapon Master shook her head. As you know, that is not our way. If you are unable to prove yourself by your ninety-ninth name day, you cannot join the Legion. You will be forced to become a producer. Tranadal sneered. I am not meant for such menial work. Juinhara's face darkened, her ashen skin taking on the shade of hot coal. Use that tone with me again, and we will spar without sheaths. You will discover what a master Latalis can do. Fear twisted Tranadal's innards. He had been training for decades, confident in his skills, but Juinhara had earned her position on merit. A veteran Latalis who had survived dozens of campaigns into the deep, a third of them leading her own squadron. I cannot face her in such a manner. Shamed, he lowered his gaze, his voice becoming a whisper. Yes, Weapon Master. Better. She turned and walked a few strides before pausing. Over her shoulder, she said, You have two days. Rest and prepare. At that time, I will give you a final chance to prove yourself. With Gandor joining the legions, I have no other student at your level. Thus, you will face me and Lorien. Win, and you get your wish. Lose, and your training is over. She faded into the gloom, leaving him alone with his worries. Still in his black sparring fatigues, Tranadal climbed the curving stairs, his thoughts consumed by his dilemma. Even after decades of training and hundreds of attempts, he always failed to pass the final test that would allow his ascendance to the Legion. Since his fiftieth name day, he had imagined exploring the deep, discovering a previously unknown ore deposit, returning with a large catch from a hunt, becoming a hero to his people. Even after millennia, squads often discovered new tunnels and faced the horrors lurking within. Yes, some died, but those deaths were an irregular occurrence. The stairs brought him to an immense cylindrical-shaped cavern, its rocky roof many hundreds of feet above. Veins of amber pulsed on the granite walls like a heartbeat, appropriate since this was the heart of the city. A massive tower stood in the center, its dark walls marked by swirls of silver. At every level, bridges spanned the gap from the tower to the cavern walls, each leading to a dark tunnel. Sixty-four levels, Tranadal thought. Legend said the makers had crafted Domus Argenti long ago as both a home and an homage to their god. While theories and tales existed, no written history documented what had become of the Makers. Tranadal wondered if the truth would even be known. They were builders, not warriors. Most likely Deep Spawn wiped them out. 
Unlike the makers, the drow had proved a hardy lot, their entire society designed to confront the deep and its monsters. He crossed the cavern floor and passed a cluster of guards, an escort for two producers pushing a cart filled with red-streaked gray stone. Those red streaks are ore, Tranadol thought. No wonder it is guarded. Ore and chromium, the two minerals required to forge steel, were rare elements found only in the deep. Nothing held more value to the drow. Two males pushed the cart, teeth clenched, sweat dripping down their faces. Like Tranadol, both had ashen skin, angled eyes, and pointed ears. Unlike him, their days were filled with hard labor, their future bereft of hope, other than the rare chance one would be selected for mating. Even that would be a short-lived respite. If successful, the male might earn another chance with another mate. If not, they returned to hard labor, producing the food and raw materials needed to supply drow society. Tranadol passed through an arched doorway thrice his height and just as wide, entering the tower proper. Across the sprawling circular room, smithies hammered molten metal, sweating in the heat of the four nearby forges. My blade came from one of those forges, long ago, Tranadol thought. Ikor had been gifted to him after his father died on a mission in the deep. Tranadol was only fifty at the time, decades from adulthood. That moment had set him on the path of a Latalus, an objective he had pursued with single-minded determination. Now he wondered if he should have chosen the path of a crafter, a path less apt for failure. Nobody chose to become a producer. It was assigned only after another path failed. He crossed the floor, stepped onto a diamond-shaped platform in the center, and faced a panel mounted to a silver column. Placing his palm against the panel, Tranadol closed his eyes and whispered. His skin stung where it contacted the panel. The world lurched, and he was suddenly on the 37th level, which was noticeably cooler than the first level. He removed his palm from the panel, the last of the blood leached from his palm dissipating. A corridor took him through an arched doorway and out of the tower. He then crossed a bridge spanning the gap between the tower and the outer wall, and entered a shadowy maw. It was a path few chose to tread. Most feared the singers distrustful of their mystical arts. Those who do not understand something fear it. I wonder if that has always been the way of things. While he had reservations about singer magic, he held no such fear. His sister, like their mother, had chosen the path of a singer. The passageway opened to a cave with a two-tiered floor, leaving him standing on the lower level. A young female singer with long white hair approached, she wore the gray robes of an acolyte, yet to be raised to ardent and decades away from becoming a savant. Her striking pale blue eyes and willowy frame made her amongst the most attractive drow of Tranadol's generation. "'Greetings, Tranadol,' she said. He dipped his head. "'Well met, Lyseran. I am seeking my sister.' Lyseran turned her lower lip out, feigning a pout. "'I thought you sought my company.' He chuckled. Your presence is always welcome. Sidling up to him, she slid her arm beneath his and pulled him close. When I am raised and allowed to choose a mate, your name will top my list. 
His pulse thumped in response to her body pressed against his. Before he could reply, she added, I just hope it happens soon, before you are promoted to Latalis and venture off into the deep. His smile slid away. She put a hand to his cheek. I have upset you. I am sorry. He shook his head. No, it is not you. There is something I must discuss with Dysarin. Come, she turned, her arms still in his. She is in the sanctuary. I will escort you there. She led him onto a narrow, sloping path. Within moments, they emerged into the upper portion of the prior chamber, climbed a set of stairs, and followed another corridor. Musical voices came from a nearby chamber, their lilting tone akin to a song. The tunnel opened to a shelf two stories above another room. Lyseran pulled Tranadol to a stop, finger to her lips as they stood in the shadows, giving them a clear view of the chamber below. Two male drow, one dressed in red robes, the other in black, were arguing. Tranadol recognized the latter as Savant Zavan, his sister's guide in the arts of song. The other's identity was easily deduced by his red robes, Sage Ovion. Approaching his 600th year, Ovion was amongst the eldest living drow. As leader of the singers, he also acted as their lone coven representative. Hunched over on his staff, the sage's head was bald, with spots dotting his wrinkled, ashen skin. In contrast, Zavin was among the tallest of drow, his frame and features lean and distended. Tranadol wondered if he had been stretched to that height by magic alone. "'And claim our destiny,' Zavin sang, passion in his voice. The sage shook his head. "'We fled the surface long ago to save our people. I'll not see them destroyed for no gain.' Zavin gestured with his long fingers. Millennia have passed. Our numbers are swelling. Our legionnaires are well-trained, ready to meet the armies of man. We possess unique abilities well beyond what we knew before seeking refuge in Domus Argenti. Can you not see? We are well prepared to reclaim our rightful place and rule the world. Ovion glared at Zavan, white eyes sparkling. The coven would not agree. The gods of man make the wizard lords too powerful. Our god was defeated long ago, forcing us to survive by our own means. He turned away and spoke over his shoulder. Forget such ambitions, Zavan. They will only lead you to ruin. The sage shuffled off, leaning heavily on his staff as he faded into a dark opening and left Zavan alone. Fists clenched, the savant spun and glided down another tunnel, disappearing from view. When all fell silent, Tranadol whispered to Lyseran, Zavan wishes us to return to the surface? Saying the words aloud made Tranadol's stomach twist, caught between anxiety and anticipation. He had spent countless hours wondering what wonders existed in the world above, but never had he dared to imagine exploring it. Lyseran clamped her hand over his mouth, leaning close as she whispered, "'You mustn't tell anyone what you heard.' The warmth of her breath tickled his neck, his pulse rising. "'That was surely a private conversation, not intended for our ears, and certainly not to be shared outside these halls.' Tranadol nodded. 
He knew such talk would only lead to discord. Eight centuries had passed since the last attempted rebellion. A quarter of the drow population had died in that civil war, all because a few dozen had decided it was time to return to the surface. The failed rebellion further solidified the coven's resolve to remain in Domus Argenti. Anything was preferable to extermination. Lyceran drew him along the shelf and into another tunnel, leading up to a small circular cave with a high, domed ceiling, a single gem at the apex. The glow from the gem bathed the cell in crimson light. Directly below the gem, a gray-robed figure sat with her eyes closed, cross-legged on the floor. Her long, white hair was marked by a single black streak, the inverse of the white streak in Tranadol's black hair. As usual, both twins had their hair tied in a tail. She appeared much like him, but with more delicate features, a slightly thinner nose and chin, fuller lips, tented fingers long and elegant. Mouth open, a soft aria came from Dicerin, the sound reverberating off the curved walls and domed roof. It was the sound of magic, the song of a singer. She opened her dark eyes, song ending. The gem above darkened, its crimson light fading to near blackness. Hello, brother. Dicerin, he replied. I wish to speak with you. Rising to her feet, she tilted her head. I sense something is amiss. He glanced at his escort. Thank you for the company, Lyceran, but I would speak to my sister in private. Lyceran unhooked her arm from his. I understand. Softly, she brushed the back of her fingers along his cheek. I hope you find answers for whatever troubles you. She exited the sanctuary, soft footsteps fading into the gloom. Come to my room, Dicerin said, away from prying ears. He followed, his stomach roiling over what he was about to ask of her. Song of Shadows Tranadol knew the request could cost him his life. While his sister had listened intently, she had only offered him a slim hope, one requiring great risk. Trailing Dicerin out of her room, he reached out and gripped her shoulder. She stopped and turned toward him. What is it? A glance in both directions revealed nobody in sight. Leaning close, he whispered, Is this a good idea? Her almond-shaped eyes narrowed. I told you, what you ask is beyond my ability, at least as of now. Of any singer capable, Zavan is most likely to offer assistance. You trust him? He is my master and a guide in the ways of song. I believe he will help you. More importantly, I am confident he will not betray you. Brow furrowed, Tranadol considered the risk. Asking his sister to defy sacred law on his behalf was one thing. Approaching a stranger was harder. All right, I trust your guidance. It was true. Trusting Zavin was another matter. Thoughts of the overheard conversation between the singer and Ovion cast additional doubt. What if he uses me to advance his agenda? Would he turn me into the law keepers, hoping to influence the coven toward his wild plans? Tranadol did not know, and the lack of certainty left him feeling exposed. Dicerin led him up a stairwell, along a passageway, and to a closed door. Placing her hand on the door panel, she opened her mouth, a high-pitched and warbling song emerging. 
The air around her hand shimmered, and the door became transparent, appearing a shadow of its former state. She passed through the doorway, gesturing for him to follow. As he did, a cold sensation washed over his body, fading the instant he was beyond the doorway. The door solidified, masking the tunnel outside. They stood in a small cavern with a spout in the wall, spring water trickling into a small pool. Crossing the compact space and passing through an arched opening, Dicerin stopped a few strides into the larger neighboring chamber and bowed, Tranadol settling beside her. Seated at his desk, Zavin looked up, a frown drawing on his long face. What is the meaning of this intrusion, Dicerin? She stood upright. I beg a favor, Savant Zavan. The elder singer leaned back, eyes narrowed. In your three decades under my tutelage, this is a first. Thus you know it is important to me. Very well. This is my brother, Tranadol, she gestured toward him. He has trained for years as a Latalis, intent on joining the Legion. His time grows short, and he has yet to pass his trial. Frowning, Zavan asked, What would you have me do? I am not part of the Legion, nor am I able to influence their decisions. If he can defeat Juinhara in combat, he is guaranteed entry. Zavan rose, glided around the desk, and stopped astride from Tranadol. He tilted his head while staring down at him. Your skills are insufficient? Tranadol pressed his lips together and replied in an even tone. I am proficient at combat and a master with the Naginata. Yet you have failed. I have poor luck. Zavan arched a brow. So you wish to bend luck in your favor? He shook his head. The singers have yet to deduce a method of influencing chance. Tranadol's remaining hope began to dissipate. Dicerin asked, Is there nothing you can do? The tall singer's lip turned up in a smirk. I did not say that. He looked Tranadol in the eye. Are you prepared to make sacrifices to achieve your desire? I am, Tranadol said without hesitation. Very well. Turning, Zavin crossed the room and approached a bookshelf. As he drew near, the singer emitted a low note, finger waggling, and the bookshelf rotated to reveal a hidden opening. With a gesture for them to follow, Zavin glided down the dark tunnel. Dicerin leaned close to Tranadol and whispered, After visiting his study a thousand times, I never suspected a passage lurked behind that shelf. What do you think he intends of me? I do not know. The siblings passed the bookshelf and followed the corridor a dozen strides before it opened to reveal a cell eerily similar to the sanctuary. Zavin extended his hand toward Tranadol. Give me your weapon. Every Latalis treated his or her Naginata as a prized possession, an extension of oneself rather than a mere instrument of war. In the decades since his father's death, he rarely went anywhere without it and had never allowed anyone else to hold it. Despite his reservations, he handed the Naginata to the singer. Zavin looked at Dicerin. Have you heard of soul capture? Of course. It is a practice long forbidden. It is an advantage 
long ignored. What I am about to do must remain a secret, at least until I rise to sage, which shan't be long, for Ovion has grown old and feeble. From somewhere within his robes he produced a long silver needle. Needle-tipped to the staff, he began to sing, the tip of the metal liquefying as his tone rose. Slowly drops of liquid metal fell. When they reached the black Naganata shaft, curving lines of text began to form in a language completely foreign to Tranadol. The script continued to run along the length of the shaft until it reached the blade. Zavan pocketed the remaining bit of the silver needle and strode to the center of the room. Once beneath the gem at the top, he sang. The gem began to glow brighter and brighter, its red turning to pink and then white, forcing Tranadol to shield his eyes. The white darkened until the light emitted from the gem turned such a dark purple it appeared black. Zavan lifted Ikor up until the tip touched the gem. His tone then shifted, causing the black light to lick the blade, swirl around it, and finally sink into the metal itself. All fell quiet. The room returned to darkness, and Zavan's shoulders slumped. He turned toward Tranadol and held the Naganata toward him. "'Beware,' Zavan said. "'The blade is forever hardened and will cut through anything, even stone.' Tranadol pulled the Naganata close and noted odd symbols etched in the metal. "'How will that help me?' "'You know the name Arceatia?' "'Of course. She is a legend among the Latalis.' She has achieved such status by wielding a weapon enhanced by the same spell. Tranadol looked down at the weapon in his hands, the etched symbols in the metal now taking on a new meaning. What will happen? The sparring sheath will fail. Whatever your blade meets will be cut, be it metal, flesh, or the hardened shaft of your opponent. Zavan drew a deep breath. What you do to defeat your opponent is now up to you. I have merely given you the tool. You must choose how you wield it. Soul Magic Anticipation hung in the air as the sparring arena gallery shelf filled with drow eager to watch Tranadol's duel, among them his sister and Zavan. Word had spread that Tranadol would face Juinhara in his last chance to prove his worth, a final duel to decide his fate. With his future at stake, anxiety thrummed through Tranadol's veins even before discovering he had an audience. The additional witnesses only made his anxiety worse. Standing upon a five-foot-tall column in the middle of the sparring arena, Tranadol peered down at the weapon in his hands. Silvery scrawl reflected light as he rotated it, reminding him again of the enchantment Zavan had gifted Ikor. As with any duel, a sheath covered the sharpened edge of his blade, masking it from view. Zavan's statement replayed in his head once again. The sparring sheath will fail. Concern dragged at his determination, threatening to cast his future in doubt. I will win. I will not become a producer. I am above such things. With that thought fixed firmly in his head, resolve fortified, he prepared himself to fight. 
As he lifted his gaze, Juinhara crossed the floor and effortlessly leapt upon another pedestal, ten strides from where he stood. To her right, Lorian stood ready, Naganata in hand, blade covered. Juinhara asked, Are you prepared to fight, applicant Tranadal? He nodded. I am. When we begin, the fight will continue until Lorian and I are both given a lethal blow, or you have been hit just once. Remember, the deep is filled with horrors that kill with but a touch. You cannot survive as a Latalus unless you can prove yourself. I understand. The moment you leave your pedestal, we will attack. Tranadal gripped his Naganata with both hands, set his jaw, and prepared himself. All fell quiet, the crowd fading into the background as the thumping of his heart filled his ears. Leaping, he landed on a platform five strides away, creating distance between himself and Juinhara. As expected, Lorian attacked, thrusting his staff toward Tranadal, who nimbly twisted out of the way. With an upswing, he knocked his opponent's shaft away and leapt again, flipping through the air as Juinhara's Naganata swept below him. He landed on the arena floor and darted away, his opponents giving chase. Tranadol rounded a tall pedestal, briefly blocking him from view. He stopped short and leapt high, backflipping upon the pedestal, his Naganata flying toward Lorian's chest. At the last moment, Lorian dodged, the butt of Tranadol's weapon clipping his shoulder. The impact, coupled with Lorian's momentum, sent him spinning to the ground. Juinhara, rising up quickly, leapt, blade-end slashing toward Tranadol in a wide arc aimed at his exposed flank. Expecting it, Tranadol had already stepped off the pedestal edge, gravity taking him below the path of her weapon. He landed on the arena floor and darted off, racing between pillars, pedestals, and rock shelves before reaching a set of stairs that rose to a dais. He ran up a full flight, stopping at the top, Naganata ready. Lorian rushed him, lunging, Tranadol thrust the butt-end of his weapon toward Lorian, who dove sideways and landed a few strides away, rolling across the dais before coming up in a crouch. He then swiped his blade in a broad arc, trapping Tranadol between the stairs and a wall. Climbing the staircase, Juinhara planted the butt of her shaft and leapt, vaulting herself, weapon whirling in a downward strike, straight toward Tranadol, forcing him to block lest he be sliced in two. Bracing himself, Tranadol met the mighty blow. The shafts struck with a loud clack, hers sliding off as she continued past him. He spun, blade-end coming around as she landed, but Juinhara was ready, her Naganata held upright to block the attack. When Tranadol's blade met her shaft, the unimaginable happened. The edge tore through the sheath, cleaved through the other weapon, and sliced across Juinhara's midriff. Jaw gaping, she staggered backward, reaching for her stomach as a crimson streak appeared on her ashen skin, exposed by the slice in her fatigues. Shocked himself, Tranadol lowered his Naganata, regret flooding in. Rather than attack him, Lorian ran to Juinhara's side. Tranadol's Naganata suddenly darkened, a near-black light arcing from it to Juinhara. She stiffened, eyes bulging, jaw dropped in a silent scream, and then collapsed. The dark light snapped back into Ikor. 
A voice rose within Tranadol's mind, screaming for blood. It roared, his vision reddening, raw hatred filling him. In a flash, he lunged, his blade plunging through Lorian's throat. Immediately, the Naganata again blackened, its dark light enveloping Lorian, and then withdrawing as the dead drow collapsed in a heap. Power, raw and unbridled, hummed through Ikor, filling Tranadol with rage. He raised it into the air, lifted his head, and bellowed. His voice trembled with energy, the cry lasting for a time before waning. He lowered the weapon and looked upon his foes. The rage subsided, replaced by horror. Both bodies were withered, appearing dead for ages rather than seconds. Lorian's throat was torn open, Juinhara's torso eviscerated. "'What have I done?' His own voice sounded distant, as though he was trapped in a dream-turned-nightmare. He then recalled the crowd in the gallery. Turning, he found Zavan standing beside Dicerin, the savant's face emotionless while his sister's eyes filled with tears and her hands covered her mouth. Three coven members stood amid the crowd, including Sage Ovion. Ovion pointed at Tranadol. Arrest him for murder, the ominous statement echoed across the open space. Wait, Tranadol pleaded. I didn't mean to... The sage turned toward Zavan, and these two as well. Zavan glowered at the elder singer. On what charges? Five hundred years have passed since soul magic last darkened the halls of Domus Argenti. A few remain alive to recognize it, myself included. For some time I have suspected you may have used it with Arsi Aisha's weapon, but I had no proof, Ovion pointed toward Tranadol. This is proof, for his blade took more than their lives. It has captured their souls as well. For that... You have defied one of our most sacred laws. Tranadol looked down at his Naganata, humming as if alive. Guards poured into the arena, some clustering around Zavan and Dicerin, the rest around Tranadol. He fell to his knees and stared into space, knowing his life was ruined. His selfish ambition had cost him everything. Perhaps worse, he had destroyed his sister's life as well. Banished. Shackles on his wrists, chin to his chest, and eyes closed, Tranadol floated in a void, his mind elsewhere. The trial against him, his sister, Zavan, and Arsiatia proceeded with one accusation after another, culminating in claims of an alarming conspiracy, which drew Tranadol from his cloud of melancholy. He raised his head, opened his eyes, and faced the coven. Sage Ovion stood nearby, speaking to members, relaying the case against the accused. Zavan sought to lead a rebellion with plans to take my place as Sage. Once a member of the Coven, he planned to return to the surface world, intent on waging war upon the humans. Ovion grimaced at Zavan, who stood between Tranadol and Arsiatia. He forgets that the last war against the humans and their wizard lords nearly exterminated our race. Prydian, the legion chieftain, asked, I understand Zavan is a highly skilled singer, but how could he hope to rebel against our established laws? 
What some of us witnessed yesterday was magic most foul, long forbidden for good reason. Ovion pointed toward Tranadol. This letalis applicant murdered Weapon Master Juinhara and Acolyte Lorian during a sparring match. When this occurred, his Naganata not only took their lives, but also captured their souls, leaving their corpses nothing but withered husks. Mutters ran through the crowd. Zavan sought to use soul magic to back his rebellion. By creating weapons able to capture the souls of others, any warrior wielding such a tool would possess frightening power. Arceasia and Tranadol were just the beginning of such a plan. Prydian's gaze shifted to Zavan. What have you to say, Savant? In his musical voice, Zavan said, While I had no designs toward a rebellion, the rest is true. In my studies... I have determined soul capture gives the drow a significant advantage, enabling our warriors to boost their abilities with the souls of our enemies. Each enemy we kill would make us stronger and help us overcome the humans' far superior numbers. He took a step closer to the coven, gaze intense. We have hidden in this maker-abandoned warren for millennia, but our rightful place is upon a throne, ruling over the world as we once did. Until the new gods arose and gifted humans with their power, the drow were supreme, despite the humans' near-endless numbers. We may still be few, but we are mighty." With your commitment and the backing of soul magic, we could rule again. The coven members looked at each other, some frowning, a few stroking their chins in thought. Ovion stood before Zavan and sneered. See, Savant Zavan does not deny his foul deeds. To listen to his ambition is to bend to evil, for soul magic is a scourge, binding the souls of victims for eternity. What of Juinhara? What of Acolyte Lorian? Both are now forever trapped, never to advance to the afterlife. It is unthinkable that anyone would condemn our own people to such a fate. Ovion spun toward Zavan. In addition, you underestimate the scope of the magic humans possess. So long as men wield the power of a god, the drow would be fools to face them. Prydian nodded. I see no fault in Sage Ovion's logic. The case against Zavan and his cohorts is clear. Zavan admitted his own guilt, regardless of his intentions. So long as soul magic remains forbidden, any use of it, by singer or otherwise, must be addressed in a harsh and decisive manner. All those who declare the accused guilty say I. The others chimed in, each declaring guilt, sealing Tranadol's fate. Leaning on his staff, Ovion nodded. The crime is confirmed. Guilt validated. Only the punishment remains. What say those in the coven? Rubbing his jaw, Prydian suggested, While execution is warranted, perhaps we should consider another path. Such as? Ovion asked. If Zavan and his followers wish to rule the surface world so badly, I suggest we forever banish them from Domus Argenti. Shackled, wrists behind his back, 
a chain connecting him to his sister astride behind him. Tranadol followed a narrow, dark tunnel. Chief Lawkeeper Vinadol led the small party, a soft light emitting from the amber sphere in his upheld hand. A cord was slung over each of his shoulders, a full water gourd hanging on each end of both cords. Five armed lawkeepers trailed the group. Zavan and Dicerin were gagged, Tranadol and Arceatia weaponless. Hours had passed since their departure, filled with many turns, stairs, and a half-dozen secret doors. In a century of living in the warrens of Domus Argenti, Tranadol had never been so far from the city. He suspected only those who had visited the deep could claim otherwise. Yet he paid close attention, marking each turn and secret panel to memory, should he ever return. It was a welcome distraction from his fear of what awaited in the unknown surface world. The tunnel came to a stairwell, Vinadol leading a long ascent. Twice, Zavan staggered and almost fell, forcing the group to stop so the singer could catch his breath. Having his mouth gagged certainly did not help, but the alternative was unthinkable. When they finally reached the top, the staircase opened into a natural cavern, the ceiling and walls irregular and varied, unlike the maker-carved chambers found below. At the far end was a large, circular stone. Vinadol approached the wall beside the stone, placed his palm on a protruding rock, and pushed. The rock sank into the wall, an audible click emitting before the stone door pivoted inward, revealing another cave illuminated by pale light. Tranadol was ushered through the opening and into the cave, the other prisoners joining him, each forced to face the light coming from the exit. The surface world awaits beyond that opening. His stomach fluttered, caught between fear and curiosity. He had spent so many years dreaming of exploring the deep, he had never considered he might instead experience the wonders above his underground home. Vinadol stood before them, his back to the light. He pulled the ropes off his shoulders, setting the four gourds on the ground. Remain still, he finally spoke. His expression was stern as his gaze swept across the prisoners. Try anything, and you will die. Reach for those gags, and you will die. A sharp tip pressed against Tranadol's back, piercing his skin. Another set of hands fumbled with his shackles, unclasping them. The others were subsequently freed, but the gags on the two singers remained in place. Vinadol circled to join the other lawkeepers, fading from view. From behind Tranadol's back, Vinadol said, You are forever cast out of Domus Argenti, no longer worthy of the name Drow. Return at your own peril, for the coven has condemned you and will show no leniency. A Naganata flew past Tranadol, followed by another, both bouncing and rolling across the cavern floor. Take your tainted weapons, the chief lawkeeper's voice was thick with disdain. Since we were unable to destroy them, they are banished along with you, for we want nothing of your twisted dark arts in our realm. The point against Tranadol's skin withdrew, a trickle of warm blood running down his back. A grinding sound made him spin around in time to see the stone door slamming closed with an ominous boom. Both Zavan and Dicerin removed their gags, Dicerin choking and coughing against the back of her hand, Zavan scowling at the stone door, eyes narrowed. Finally, Zavan turned and glided toward the entrance. Arceatia glanced toward Tranadol and shrugged before following the singer, bending to claim her Naganata on the way. 
Tranadol picked up one of the gourds, unstoppered it, and held it to Dicerin. Here, drink. She brought it to her mouth and tipped it up, careful not to spill. When she lowered it, he rested his hand on her shoulder. Are you all right? Dicerin nodded. Yes, I am well. She turned toward the light. His gaze followed hers toward the silhouettes of Zavan and Arceatia, who stood in the entrance, peering outside. "'Come,' said Tranadol as he scooped up Ikor. It felt good to have the Naganata in his hand, the hum of the souls within calling for him to fight. Ignoring that call, he led his sister out of the cave, squinting as he walked past Zavan and caught his first glimpse of the outside world.' A bright globe of light shone down from his right, while thousands of tiny lights dotted the boundless sky. It felt bizarre and disorienting to have so much openness above him. They stood on a barren mountainside, the air cool but not cold. Far below was water, seemingly endless. Hundreds of small islands jutted up above the surface for as far as Tranadol could see. Dicerin stopped beside him. It is so... Expansive. Zavan stood on Tranadol's other side. This is but the tiniest slice of the surface world. Somewhere out there are cities many times the size of Domus Argenti. Seas, forests, mountains, and rivers are but a few of the world's many land types. Ore is plentiful, steel, common, gold, countless gems, animals, crops, and many more resources await. The singer's musical tone made the prospects appealing, stirring something inside Tranadol. The shadow of shame seemed to fade, burnt away, by the light of the bright object in the sky. He peered up at it and frowned. While the sun is bright, the legends always said it hurt to look at it, yet I can do so with little pain. Perhaps our eyes have changed. His sister snorted. While our eyes have undoubtedly adjusted to the confines of our underground home, we have grown accustomed to darkness, not light. True, Zavan agreed. Therefore, the object in the sky is not the sun, but rather the moon. He gestured toward the cavern. Tranadol and Arceatia are strongest and will carry the water. Let us get moving, for I fear it will become quite hot when the sun does rise. We will travel at night and find refuge during the day. Where will we go? Tranadol asked. I do not know, said the singer. Not yet. However, we go with an objective in mind. Dicerin nodded. We must discover a means to weaken man, something we can prove to the coven. Precisely, Zavan nodded. When we do, the drow will return and reclaim their rightful place. Which is? Arceatia asked. Zavan smiled. We dark elves were meant to rule the world. I hope you enjoyed listening to Soulblade by Jeffrey L. Kohanic, narrated by Peter Franson of Christian Geek Central. If you want to read more by Jeff, go to jeffreylkohanic.com to find more of his books, including all of his audiobooks. If you enjoyed listening to Pater narrate the story, you might also enjoy listening to his podcast, Christian Geek Central, where he discusses movies, video games, and all things enjoyed by self-proclaimed geeks from a Christian worldview. Because it's a new month, we are running a new giveaway. 
which means that you'll want to head to findingfantasyreads.com giveaway to see what new goodies are being offered and to get yourself entered to win. Jeff's book God King Rising is one of the paperbacks in the giveaway. But on top of that, he's giving out three more ebook copies and three more audiobook copies, which means in addition to the grand prize giveaway, we'll have his book for six more runner-up winners. In other words, your odds of winning something this month are even higher than normal. As always, the links for all these sites are in the show notes. Thank you all for listening and happy reading. <laughs>